0: That I have the opportunity to step in and to um, to just preach uh, a word for you tonight on the subject of lament. And so, if you are taking notes, I like what Pastor Justin said last week God doesn't love you more if you take notes. But I love you more if you take notes. My RC is no. I love a note taker, right? And so it could be on a piece of paper. It could be in your notes app. If you're taking notes at the top of your page, you can either write or type the title of the sermon, which is good morning. And if you are listening to this while you're driving or maybe you're listening to uh, this podcast and you can't see uh, my title page on the screen, it's important for you to know that that word morning is spelled M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And just by that phrase alone, I've uh, relieved all the grammarians in the house who are like, there's a misspelling on the screen. Okay, you can relax. But for everybody else, for those of you in here who have an aversion maybe to dad jokes or puns, you're like, this is so, like, really good morning? Like, that's so cheesy. And so I just wanna, I wanna let everybody know, just let you have a sigh of relief that this good morning, okay, yes, it is a, a word of a play on words, right? But also, there's a, a, a method to the madness. The reason why I chose this title, Good Morning, is because I wanted you all to see these two words together. That word, morning, And the word good. In our culture and in our society, we have this aversion to mourning. We have an aversion to suffering. We have an aversion to pain. And we like to think that there is nothing good. There can be nothing good that comes out of mourning. But I want to tell you tonight that mourning is biblical. And biblical mourning is good. Mourning is biblical and biblical mourning is good is good. In fact, there's a whole a genre in the Bible dedicated to mourning. It's called lament. I'm going to have a few definitions on the screen up there from um, some theologians and authors that I respect And follow. I have some of their books up here Um, in case anyone is curious after the service to kind of flip through. But I'm gonna say, like Pastor Fred says, you are not allowed to take my books. Um, But you can look at them uh, in case you wanna see how big the type is before you commit to purchasing it on Amazon. Um, But I've got uh, uh, two books here by Mark Rogop one called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, Much of this sermon, I draw heavily on him Um, throughout this sermon. He gives a really good structure uh, for lament in this book. And then another book that he wrote called Weep With Me, How Lament Opens a Door for Racial Reconciliation. Mark Rogop is a white pastor, but he wrote that book to talk about how lament gives us space and opportunity as Christians to empathize with people whose stories might be different than ours. And so, in that book, he talks about the necessity, the, the opportunity that we have as the church in America to lament the racial injustice that has happened in our history and that continues to happen today. And then there's another book called um, Prophetic Lament by Sung Chan Ra, uh, a professor at Fuller and an incredible theologian. Um, he, this book. Uh, Is basically a commentary on the book of Lamentations uh, and a really great way to see how uh, that book relates and connects to modern day life. And so now that you know who I'm quoting, let me give you the definitions that they give for lament. Mark Rogop says, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Soon Chan Ra says, lament is the liturgical response to the reality of suffering And I didn't have a book by Walter Brueggemann, but he's one of my favorites. He says, lament is the language of disorientation. So lament is about pain. It's about suffering, but it's also about worship. It's about prayer. It's about our language, the language that we use in conversation with God. Lament, as I said, is a biblical genre. If you're looking for lament in the Bible, one of the easiest things you can do is just turn to the book of Lamentations. It literally has the word lament in it. It is the whole thing is a lament. Right. And then you could also turn to the Psalms because there's a ton of Psalms in there that are laments. And uh, this is surprising. It may be surprising to you. It was surprising to me when I learned this. But actually, um, there are 150 psalms in the Bible. These are basically like worship songs. The, the psalms are, is, is the worship book in the Bible, of the Bible. And one out of every three psalms, so at, at least one-third of the psalms are a lament. One out of every three song in the Bible is a song that wrestles with grief, that wrestles with suffering, uh, that wrestles uh, with mourning and with loss. And I'm emphasizing that because if you compare the worship book of the Bible to the worship book of the American Christian church, especially the evangelical church, there is a huge and vast difference. Like if you Google, not now, but later, if you Google the CCLI top 100 uh, Songs. So basically, like the CCLI Top 100 is like the Billboard Hot 100 uh, of the church. Okay, these are the songs that that churches like ours uh, sing on Saturdays and Sundays over the weekend, right? So if you look at that list of all those 100 songs, you would be hard pressed to find very many songs of lament. There was someone did a study and they said that if they're being generous, like maybe five percent of the 100, five out of the 100. Uh, songs that we sing on a regular weekly basis in America is a song of lament. is a song that deals with grief, with mourning, and with suffering. So we have a problem, right? I would say someone might be able to look at that evidence and say, actually, the, the, Amer- the, the worship in American church is unbiblical. Our worship does not usually typically reflect the worship that we see in Scripture, you think about the most popular Christian radio station in a nationwide is, y'all know, positive, encouraging, K-Love, right? When I was, I don't know if Kmart still exists, but when I was younger and I used to go to Kmart and, and go to Walmart to buy CDs, CDs, uh, RC, yes, you know, okay, CDs, I would have to go to, to what section? The inspirational section if I was looking for Christian or worship music. And so there's this message that we keep getting inundated with in America that says that Christianity has to be positive, has to be encouraging, has to be inspirational, and there's not much space, maybe 5% space for our grief, for our mourning, for our loss. The problem is we are real-life human beings. (laughs) And I don't know about you, but I experience loss more than and grief and suffering more than 5% of the time, right? I know probably many of you have seen and heard uh, of the statistics about the decline of the Western church and, and, and all this talk about a post-Christian uh, America, and uh, it is true, right? There is a decline uh, of the church. There's a, a church decline in the West. It is, by the way, growing in the global South, so that's good news. But there is a decline in the West, and I wonder if that decline of churchgoers in America and across the West has to do with the fact that we aren't giving people space to mourn. We're not giving people space to grieve and to suffer. And I think if we don't give space for people to mourn, to suffer, to grieve, they will leave the church to find a place where they can. And so tonight, what I'm presenting is what the Bible presents. So I didn't make this up, okay? I'm saying all of this, spending all this time to talk about how lament is in the Bible so that you can do your own research and see that lament is like a real thing that is in Scripture. And also, Lament is something that we can hold on to. One, one uh, professor, theologian that I was reading, it calls it a, a, a technology. It's a language that we can use to help us in our process of grieving and suffering. So I gave some definitions of lament. I want to give one final one that's going to be kind of like our guidepost as we continue and go through the sermon tonight. Um, I kind of piecemealed some words that I got from uh, Mark Rogop's book, um, Deep Clouds, but the definition is this. Lament is a pathway to praise, not a cul-de-sac of sorrow, which avoids the ditch of denial and the ditch of despair. Lament is a pathway to praise. Already, it's Hard to say that because some people are going to just jump straight into the praise, right? But it's important to know that it's a pathway. There is some lamenting, some grieving you have to do before you get to the praise. We can't replace lament with praise, it's a pathway to get there. So, lament is a pathway to praise, not a cul de sac of sorrow. We're not meant to stay in our lament, we're meant to get to praise, but it's a pathway that avoids the ditch of denial and the ditch of despair. I want to talk, uh, before we talk about lament and what it looks like and how we can apply it in our lives, I want to talk about these two ditches of denial and despair. The first one is the ditch of denial. I think a lot of times, in order to avoid that cul-de-sac of sorrow, in order to avoid our discomfort with sadness, with suffering, uh, we tend uh, to emphasize the verses in Scripture that talk about rejoicing, right? Some of you are, are already thinking about these. James 1, 2, that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind. Or 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, that says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. These verses are In the Bible, these verses are good for us to hold on to, thank God, right? They reflect God's intention for us to arrive at joy, but not by avoiding the necessary path of lament. And they're balanced by some other uh, verses and maybe lesser known scriptures. So how about this one, Isaiah 22, 12 through 13? I love this one. It says, at that time, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies called you to weep and mourn. He actually commanded them to weep and mourn. He told you to shave your heads in sorrow for your sins and to wear clothes of burlap to show your remorse. Basically, put your grieving out on your sleeves. Be, And that's what God commanded them to do. But instead, you dance and play. You slaughter cattle and kill sheep. You feast on meat and drink wine. You say, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. Can anybody relate to that? Maybe you have uh, experiences of suffering, of loss, of grief, and your inclination is to do what they did all the way back in Isaiah's day. And rather than really pressing into that grief, you go out and party. You go out and eat and drink. That is an indication that you might be sitting in the ditch of denial. Lamentations 2, 18 through 19 says, let your tears flow like a river day and night. Give yourselves no rest. Give your eyes no relief. Rise during the night and cry out. Pour out your hearts like water to the Lord. I love Pastor Justin. Last week, I think it was, uh, made mention or a few weeks ago when he preached on effective conversion, which is a great companion sermon to this one. If you want to go back and listen to that one about right? How all of us as Christians, we have a responsibility for our emotions and our emotions. And um, I don't don't know if it was this verse or another one like it uh, that he was referring to about about this idea of pouring out our hearts like water to God. And what he says is, if you don't pour it out, it'll leak. If you don't pour your grief out, your sorrow out at the feet of Jesus, it's going to leak. And I can tell you from experience, not only does your grief and sorrow leak, it can explode. Personally, I just going to be vulnerable with you so that people can understand and maybe can relate um, who, who might be sitting or standing in this ditch of denial tonight. A couple years ago, I had a rude awakening to the fact that I was standing in a ditch of denial about my suffering, about my grief, about my disappointment, about my frustration and my anger. It was a couple of Thanksgivings ago. I was getting ready for for my family to come for thanksgiving and my wife was cooking dinner and and i was you know cleaning the house and we had a normal fight that couples have. How many couples, married couples in the room? You know how common it is, right, to to get into a fight on holidays or vacations, right? And so we were having a normal fight about really dumb little things like plates and, and cutlery and things like that. And for whatever reason, I know the reason, it was because I was had been denying, I had been stuffing down my suffering, my anger, my all that. And so I was pushing it down so much that I couldn't con- take any more disappointment. I couldn't continue uh, contain any more frustration or sadness and i just exploded and then i started to to punch a wall so hard that i broke my hand and for months i walked around with this humiliating reminder of my temper of my anger of the fact that i was in a pit of denial that i was not processing it was a surprise to me typically i'm not like a person who's typically quick to anger and i i had to stop and say what is going on there's something wrong inside of me there's something happening and so of course I had to apologize to my wife I had to apologize to my kids and I, I did what I would tell any of you to do I went to go see a counselor who helped me to identify okay what are my emotions or and, and why am I feeling the way that I'm feeling but I share all that with you tonight so that you can see so that you don't have to experience it you can see what happens when you don't pour out your grief like water at the feet of God not only can it leak but it can explode you can walk around with a cast on your hand as a reminder of how desperate you are to be honest with someone, and especially with God, about your grief. There's the ditch of denial, but then there's also the ditch of despair. The mourning is biblical, not all mourning is good. There is such a thing as bad mourning, and that bad mourning takes us into a ditch of despair, You know, one of the first things that you probably learned when you got your driver's license and you started practicing on the road is that when you're driving and something obstructs the way, somebody swerves into the lane or a deer crosses, the last thing you want to do is slam on your brakes and, and swerve in the other direction, right? In order to avoid one thing, you, if you do that, will roll over into another thing. And so we can run the risk of, if we're trying to avoid the ditch of denial, uh, grabbing the wheel and jerking it over to the right and rolling into a ditch of despair. But I love Psalm 126, 5 through 6. It gives us a really helpful picture to avoid this. It says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. I love the poetry of this, the imagery that it gives us. It's an analogy that, that points to the, produ- the productiveness of our grief, right? That there is actual good fruit that can come from our sorrow, But it also presents to us the possibility of us misplacing our sorrow and our grief. Like if you just picture in your mind for a second a farmer, no farmer is going to take a year's worth of their seed and go into the middle of the field and just dump it, right? No farmer or gardener is going to take all of their seed and go to the middle of the road and just kind of chuck it into the wind or throw it into the trash can or scatter it recklessly. If you do that, you're wasting seed. No, this says that a farmer goes and sows the seed, right? There are plots. There are are fields that need to be plowed. There are holes that need to be made. There's order to the sowing. And the same is true about our grief. You know, you can actually waste your grief. You can uh, invest your grief and place your grief in all the wrong places so that it's fruitless instead of providing the good fruit of joy that it's meant and can be sown from it. I'm going to give you a couple examples of what it looks like if you um, sow the seed of grief maybe in some of the wrong places. You might Begin to see the fruit of despair in your life that looks like hopelessness, that looks like pessimism or cynicism, that looks like self-destructive tendencies like gluttony or hedonism, rage, violence, apathy, bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, hatred, guilt, or shame. If any of those are the fruit of your mourning, then there's a possibility, I would say a probability, that you might be mourning in a bad way, that you aren't mourning Good. But I do want to give a couple disclaimers here, even as I say that I want to be careful and make clear that I'm not demonizing any emotions. Right. I think like, for example, anger gets a bad rap in the church. Right. That anger is Uh, sinful, right? Anger is not sinful. There's nothing wrong with these negative emotions that you might feel, but uh, what happens, what isn't good and what uh, bears bad fruit is that if you take those passing emotions and turn them into mindsets, turn them into attitudes, allow them to develop habits, and, 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 and you begin to identify with those emotions that are meant to pass, then all of a sudden you begin to bear bad fruit in your life. And so the emotions aren't bad, right? Anger is a thing. Rage is a thing. Disappointment is a thing. All those feelings are things that are meant to pass through us, but they got to pass, right? You got to let them go. I also want to acknowledge the fact that depression is a real thing, right? In addition to all the stuff that we feel in our hearts and what we know about our minds and, in our, and our spirit, we have a, a real-life body to contend with, Right? And so some of us deal with and, and, and have the, the battle of chemical imbalances that we have to wrestle with. Some of you have experienced traumas with a capital T that have literally changed your physiology, right? That book, The Body Keeps the Score, that, that you can experience trauma that actually rewires your brain. And, and all of a sudden, it's not just a passing emotion, but it's, it lives, it resides in your body. And so I want you to hear me say that. Uh, if you're sitting in a, a pit of despair, I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to feel guilt about that, and I don't want you to hear me say that lament is a cure for suffering and for grief. One um, professor was talking about in a, in a podcast. He said, "He said lament is not a cure, but it's a tonic, right? The cure for for suffering is um, the 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 hope that we have of heaven, right? The Bible says that there's no tears, no weeping, no injustice in heaven, but." on earth, we're always going to have suffering. We're always going to have grief. And so in this life, there is no cure for suffering, but lament is a tonic. It's not meant to be a cure-all, but it is meant to be an aid to us in our grief and in our suffering. And so I hope no one here feels um, um, guilt or shame if you're sitting in that pit of despair. I hope what you hear tonight is hope and the reality that you're not suffering alone. I hope that you hear tonight that there is a biblical tonic that both affirms your feelings, but also provides a pathway for you to praise. So I want to talk about that pathway tonight. It's called biblical lament. Biblical lament is a pre-plowed field, if you want to go back to that analogy, that God has, has given to us in Scripture where we can sow our sorrow and expect good fruit, right? Who wants to experience the good fruit of sorrow? And so we get, need to look at what biblical lament looks like. Mark Rogop, again, gives us this, uh, this structure. He identifies four elements of lament. They are turn, complain, Ask and trust. Turn, complain, ask and trust. For some of you tonight, um, that first one, turn, turn to God, maybe hits you in maybe not a good way because for you, you brought your grief, you brought your suffering to someone who was mel- well meaning, maybe a pastor or another Christian, a friend who said to you, hey, just give it to God, just turn to God, just pray to God, right? And so I want to say that turning to God is one element of the four elements of lament. If someone is just telling you, hey, turn to God, give it to God, that's just one step in the right direction. And it is a step in the right direction, but it's not the complete picture, It does need to be said, and we need to hear this reminder to turn to God, though, because um, we are predisposed in our humanity to turn to other things. There was a a psychological experiment on college students who had just broken up with their their, um, boyfriend or girlfriend. They had been in significant relationships, and they wired their brains. Don't ask me how, but they were able to somehow see what was going on in their brains, so they did this study with them where they had them sit down, they had them look at the picture, a picture of their ex. And what they realized is that the same parts of their brain in their grieving as they were, you know, looking at cute Susie or Billy, I miss you Billy, right? As they were looking at these their exes, these parts of their brain started to light up the same parts that light up in cocaine addicts who were in withdrawal. And what they realize is that when we're grieving, when we're suffering loss, our brain does this thing where it begins to reach for some comfort. It's the reward centers of our brain begin to light up and it says, okay, I need a little boost. I need a little something. And so uh, that's crazy to think right that 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 maybe uh your brain looks like uh, it just reminds me of that commercial this is your brain right that your brain on a a breakup looks like maybe a cocaine addict's brain but maybe it's not a far reach when you think about the things that we kind of reach for the the addictive things that we reach for when we're suffering and when we're grieving i i love this gif up here that i posted can you go to that that picture that's next yes that is my favorite gifts to use. I just learned today. My RCers told me that if you're using gifts, you're old. Um, so that's just free. If you're over 25 and you're still using gifts, um apparently just don't use that them with like young people. As for me in my house, I'm still gonna use gifts because I think they're funny. Um, but yeah, this is one of my favorite like go-tos. Emma Stone. Balling over a carton of ice cream. And this is like the classic scene. Like this is what we expect when we start watching a romantic comedy. Somebody, somebody who's just experienced a bad breakup just shoveling ice cream in their, 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 their mouths. But when we realize the science, now we understand why, right? Because when we're experiencing loss, all of a sudden we're reaching for something that will give us that hit of dopamine. And so it's no wonder to me that, during and after the pandemic, alcoholism has risen. It's no wonder to me that during and after the pandemic, opioid use has risen. It's no wonder to me that during and after the pandemic, social social media usage has risen, right? We can be addicted to a lot of things, not the heavy drugs. There's lots of things that we reach for. And so it's important for us to hear this first step in lament that if you're grieving, Real talk, you have to be intentional about turning to God rather than turning to all the creature comforts that you might do. It's also important for us to know this because it's a good reminder that lament is not just about complaining or griping, but lament is prayer. It's a conversation that we have with God. And so we can turn to God. We must turn to God, but also we can complain. So imagine for a second someone, you're in a small group or a Bible study, maybe maybe that that you're leading and and you've asked someone to, to say a prayer and everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed. And this person begins the prayer with, long enough, God, you've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Or maybe they say, get up, God. Are you going to sleep all day? Wake up. Don't you care what happens to us? If you love us so much, help us. I think people would begin to like open their eyes and look around the room like, is this dude okay? Right? What about this one? No one is here to comfort me. Anyone who might encourage me is far away. You might recognize this one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You probably figured out at this point that all of these prayers that I just prayed are actually biblical. These are actual psalms of lament. Most of those prayers would make us feel uncomfortable if we heard anyone pray them in real life. We might be ready to kick that person out the room, but the fact is they're actually praying scripture. They're entering into the complaint portion of lament. And the beauty of of this, maybe no matter how comfortable this language might make you feel, the beauty of it is that It's good to know that God gives us permission to enter into grief in these ways. That God actually gives us permission to to, to reveal and to show our doubt, to to wrestle with, with our anger, to wrestle with our hatred and disappointment, even with him, that we're able and we have permission to voice those things. But here's the thing. Just like turning to God is incomplete without the other elements of lament, the same is true about complaint. If all you're doing is complaining to God or even about God, then you haven't fully stepped into lament just yet. You need all the elements. But when we do enter into this realm of complaint, we're holding a tension between what we know to be true about God and what feels true in the moment, right? You might know that God is good. You might know that God loves you. You might know that God is near you, but what you feel in the moment might be, I don't feel like God is good. I don't feel that God is near me. I don't feel that God is for me. And so complaint is a, a part of our prayer that allows us to hold those things in tension. God gives us space to express our feelings, and then This is the reason why the other elements are important. He invites us to move forward in the process. That's the thing about music is that music moves. All of these laments that we've been talking about tonight, these prayers of lament, these complaints, even that I read to you just a second ago, all of that, the Psalms are songs. They're set to music and there's a therapeutic value in singing along to the words of a sad song. I know Jason Jordan is very excited about that. One of my R.C.s. his favorite genre is sad pop. So there's therapeutic value in singing sad pop songs, right? One um, psychotherapist said, said this, Music allows us all to experience our collective heartbreaks, our collective feelings of separations, of loss in a way that is safe, contained, and shared. The music reaches our emotions deep in our bodies as opposed to our head. Music also moves and moves us along with it so that we can let our feelings take us somewhere rather than feeling stuck with them. God ingeniously gave us the gift of complaint. He embedded it into songs of lament so that and because he knew that all songs end. Right. At some point, the song has to stop. My current therapist uh, is Harrison Ford on the show Shrinking, and um, the advice that he has given me, uh, as well as the millions of other people that watch the show, uh, is he says, set a timer for 15 minutes, turn on a sad song, and lean into the grief. When the timer dings, you're done, move on with your life. There's actual therapeutic value to that advice, and Harrison Ford didn't invent it, right? The creators of Shrinking didn't invent it. The God, God the creator of the universe invented it. He gave us the tool, the the um, the technology to be able to handle our grief. How perfect is it that we get to fully enter into grief in our complaints through music and through worship, fully enter in and are moved through it and past it. I've um I've Created a uh, song list on playlist, a song list on playlist, a playlist on Spotify um, of songs of lament. Earlier I said that, right, songs of lament are really hard to find from Christian artists. And so I made this not for you, to be honest. I made it for me, but you're welcome. You can have it. Uh, If you've got your phone or if you're watching online, you can pull your phone out and actually use the QR code. Don't start listening to it now. Um, But you can actually click that link and then um, you'll have it. And then if you're, you're listening to the podcast, I'll put a link up here, attach it to um, to my notes so that you can access it later. But these are songs of lament that I have found personally um, that have helped me uh, vocalize and find words for the complaints that I have toward God. Maybe you're somebody who sits in the pit, uh, the ditch of denial, and you need some language. You need some music to help you move and press in to your grief. These are some songs that might help you do that. I've got some on the screen represented by those images. The first one, actually, Pastor Justin referenced a few weeks ago, thanks to Madeline Harris. Uh, I Don't Have to Pretend by Victory, the song God and Prozac I Love by Chris Renzema, which grapples with uh, uh, his depression and chemical imbalance. He says, I believe in a gospel and a God who is good, but these chemicals don't always work like they should. Hung up on this heartache and the distance between the way that I'm feeling and what I believe. Come on a real complaint about what's going on inside of his head and inside of his body. There's the song, The Dark Night of the Soul by Levi, the poet that grapples with death and brings some some real uh, hard language to that. And then uh, the song, What Do You Know About Grace by uh, King's Kaleidoscope and Propaganda, which really is a song of imprecation and protest. The refrain at the end of the song is burn it all down, burn Babylon down. So it's a song about injustice. And so I'm giving these as gifts to you. You can use these songs, but also you can always open up your Bible and rifle through the psalms and find that your chances are pretty good. One in every three. Find a song, a psalm that will give voice, vocalize, give words to the complaint that might be in you, right? So we have to complain and we also have to ask boldly. We complain. We, we turn to God. We complain, and we ask boldly. I talk about this passage of scripture a lot in Exodus chapter 2, the very end, just before um, we get into Exodus chapter 3, the story of Moses and the burning bush. Everyone knows Exodus chapter 3 and that story where God calls Moses to be the one to lead the Israelites out of slavery through a burning bush, which is amazing, right? And then You hear the story, we know the story of the 10 plagues and how God does all those uh, crazy miraculous things and shows all those signs. We know the story of the splitting of the Red Sea, but can I just suggest that none of those exploits of God would be possible without what happens first at the end of Exodus 2. It says, years passed and the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, And their cries rose up to God, and God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. That passage of Scripture actually shows us that the heart of God is moved to action by our cries for help, right? Because they cried. Because they cried out to God, he turned around and did all those exploits that we love to talk about in the book of Exodus. Sung Chan Ra says it this way, the hope of lament is that God would respond to human suffering. Walter Brueggemann says the power of lament is the ability to summon God's help. He goes on to say that psalms of lament are prayers that seek to mobilize God on the assumption that if you don't summon God, nothing will happen. And we see that, The reality of that play out not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. If you look at the Gospels and you follow Jesus, you see that the people who are crying out to, to Jesus. Think about the woman who, who, who uh, had the issue of blood and reached for the hem of Jesus and was healed. Think about Jairus who traveled a distance to find Jesus and drug him all the way home to his, his daughter who was sick and dying at home. Think about blind Bartimaeus who cried out, son of David, have pity on me. And it says, I love that story. It says that Jesus literally stops in his tracks and heals him. I wonder how many miracles we would see as the church in America, how many miracles we could see for ourselves, how many miracles we could see in our community and in our world if we were willing to cry out for help, if we were willing to lament. A lot of us don't want to be like blind Bartimaeus. We don't want to say, have pity on me because we don't like a pity party. We don't want to be a Debbie Downer. A lot of us don't want to be that person because other Christians point to those people and say, that's a person with little faith. The other aspect of that blind Bartimaeus story that I love is not only did Jesus stop in his tracks and heal blind Bartimaeus because of his cry for help. You know what else he does? He turns to him and he says, your faith, huh? your faith has made you well. Actually, it's those of us who cry out in our suffering. It's those of us who cry out in our grief and in our despair who prove our faith in God. It's not just the ones, right, who rejoice always. It's those of us who are willing to admit something is not right. And I need God to do something. Lament is a pathway to praise, not only because it helps us to navigate our emotions, emotions, but also because it Provides us an opportunity to petition God and for him to answer. Lament is a pathway to praise because when we uh, lift up our complaints to God, we give him opportunity to do the miraculous and then we praise him because of what he's done, right? When we bypass petition, we reveal our lack of trust either in God's power or his willingness to save us. And so lament is a tool God's given us to express our emotions and to connect to his power and to his steadfast love. I want to close with this. The last movement, the last element of lament is trust. and we can have the the worship band come up. Uh, in the psalms of lament, trust usually looks like the pivot word, even so, or but or yet or and. Lamentations three. 19 through 24, it's like the climax of the book of Lamentations. It gives us this pivotal moment. It says, the poet says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I'll never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss yet. Somebody say yet. Somebody say yet. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. There is a pivot moment in lament after we've turned to God, after we've aired our complaints, after we've cried out for help. There's a pivot moment where we begin to trust in Him, And the thing is, what this passage tells us is that we can trust in God because his faithfulness is not dependent on his feelings. We can trust God because of what it says up, he, up there, because his love is steadfast, because he's faithful to us. Too often our faithfulness is affected. Our faithfulness is... Um, interrupted, we become unfaithful because of our feelings. If we're being honest, when we're grieving, we're not walking the 12 pathways. I don't want to pray. I don't want to worship. I don't want to come to church. I don't want to serve. When we're grieving, when we're doing uh, in, in our suffering, we don't want to be faithful. Our feelings affect our faithfulness. When we're grieving is when we're most likely to stop turning to God and start turning to other sources of comfort When we're grieving is when we're most likely to let our complaints turn to cynicism. When we're grieving is when we stop crying out to God and start depending on our own effort and our own strength to save us. But if we trust in who God says he is, he can meet us in our grief and give us the grace to trust him, the grace to praise him anyway. We can trust God because his faithfulness is not dependent on his feelings. And even even with all of that, we can trust him because his faithfulness isn't dependent on his feelings, but also because he chooses to feel anyway. You know, the creator of the universe doesn't have to feel anything. And yet he chose to feel everything. He chose to feel the grief and the suffering that we feel. I showed you some psalms, uh, some complaints in the Psalms of Lament earlier on the screen. One of them was Psalm 22 that says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's probably one of the worst laments, one of the worst complaints that someone can lodge against God. It's one of the worst feelings that someone can feel that they've been abandoned and forsaken by God. And you know what's amazing? Is that God himself— stepped into human form, not only to live, but to die. And not only to die, but to be tortured, to be mocked, to be whipped, to be hung on a cross. And in that moment, Jesus borrows the words of a lament and cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I believe he uses that complaint because he wanted to meet you, you, the person who is in that situation right now where you feel like God has forsaken you, you feel like God has abandoned you, you feel like God has forgotten you. God himself put himself in a position where he felt his own abandonment. He felt the abandonment of the Father, the Creator God. He did that so that he can meet you in your suffering. He can meet you in your grieving and in your mourning. He did it also so that he can walk you through it. After he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He also cried, it is finished. He died, experienced hopelessness altogether, death, and then beat it, rose again, so that he could walk us through that process. So that. He can meet us at the starting point of absolute abandonment and bring us back to life. And so this is how I want to end tonight. We have just a little bit of time. We're going to sing through a song of worship. And I just, I want to invite you, everyone can stand where you are to your feet right now. And just as we worship this song or as we sing this song and we worship God, I want to invite you that if you, you're you here tonight and you would say that you are standing in that ditch of denial, I want to invite you as we sing this song to pour out, to pour out your complaint to God. As we sing this song, I want to invite you to come down to this altar not necessarily to get prayer, but just as, a, as a, a sign to say, I'm no longer going to hide my suffering. I'm no longer going to hide my grieving. I'm going to be honest about the fact that I'm hurting, and I'm just going to see what happens. I'm going to pour out, pour out to God tonight. So if you're standing in the ditch of denial and you need an opportunity to pour out to God, this altar is open. And then I want to talk to you if you're standing in the ditch of despair. I want you to use this song as an opportunity for you to begin to ask. Maybe you're stuck in that complaint portion of the lament. I want you to have space here tonight to actually have the boldness to ask God for what you really need. So God, As we go back into worship tonight, I pray that you would give each of us the boldness to be honest about who we are. And I thank you, God, that you've given us the tools. God, you've plowed the field already for us to sow our sorrow so that it bears good fruit. May we tonight step into the responsibility and the joy and the privilege that we have, space that you've given to be for real with the creator of the universe, our father, and to just say what's really on our hearts. So God, we press in tonight, yes, to into our grief, but also we pivot and turn to you. We're intentional. We, we, we sing tonight. We lift our hands. We, we cry. We kneel. Whatever we need to do, oh God, to be honest and vulnerable in your presence. In Jesus' name.